JCMC Interview Series. I am Michele Introna, social media editor and neuroanesthesiologist at Instituto Best of Milano. And here today, I'm very happy uh, because we are with uh, Johannes Enevoldsen, who is a very young and talented uh, researcher from Oros University in, De in Denmark, who is also first author of a really nice paper that came out in the JCMC in October, which is the effects of respiratory rate and tidal volume on pulse pressure variation in healthy lungs. A generalized additive model approach may help overcome limitations. So uh, welcome, Johannes. Yeah, thank you. And thank you very much for the introduction, Mikhail. Thank you. Thank you. It's, a, it's, it's really, really a pleasure. So uh, first of all, I would like you to, last, to tell us in brief uh, uh, what this study is about. Yeah, so basically this is a study about uh, pulse pressure variation, um, which is a very commonly used indicator of uh, fluid responsiveness. And just in brief, um, the idea is that if you have a patient on mechanical ventilation, you can use these swings in infrathoracic pressure that the ventilator makes um, because when these uh, swings occur, it will cause swings in, um, in the filling of the heart. Um, and these swings in filling will in turn uh, cause variation in stroke volume and hence in pulse pressure. Um, so if we have a patient which has a large response to, to these um, swings in ventricular filling caused by the ventilator, we may also expect uh, that this patient will respond to a fluid bolus with an increase in, uh, in stroke volume. Um, and the clinicians use this to, uh, to determine whether a patient should be given a fluid bolus or not. Um, but then there are uh, a number of limitations to the usefulness of this method. Um, and in this, in, in this paper, we wanted to uh, investigate just a few of them. Um, one of the limitations we wanted to investigate is that it has been shown that, that when tidal volume is low, below 8 milliliters per kilo, um, patients, no, when it's lower than uh, eight milliliters per kilo, um, this method pulse pressure variation uh, will not predict fluid responsiveness, responsiveness that precisely. Um, and therefore we want to know whether this is an absolute limitation or whether it's something that's more fluid because it seemed a bit uh, surprising that there should be just one heart cut off that when you're below that, it doesn't work at all. And when you're above, it works. Um, so we wanted to, to know what the effect of tidal volume is on pulse pressure variation. Um, the other limitation we wanted to address in the study is that it's also been shown that if patients have few heartbeats per respira respiration or a low heart rate to respiratory rate below 3.6, it's also expected that we cannot rely on pulse pressure variation. Um, and we also wanted to uh, investigate that limitation a bit more, um, understand if this is also just a hard cutoff or 
if it's a, an effect of respiration itself or if it's an interaction between heart rate and respiratory rate. Um, so that, that was basically the idea going into this. We wanted to understand these two things. So then we designed a study where we took a number uh, 50, little 52 uh, patients who were scheduled for abdominal surgery um, and applied a series of different ventilator settings. Uh, so both different respiratory rates from 10 to 31 respirations per minute, and also a different a number of different uh, tidal volumes between four and 10 milliliters per kilo. And then essentially we, um, we made uh, a protocol and I'll just show this quickly. Yeah, just a, a, a quick thing before yeah. you explain to us, uh, because for podcast listeners, you can find the the figures that are going to be discussed by Johannes in the below the the podcast in the link space, so you can find all the images. Yeah. So so we applied these ten different ventilator settings. Um, and applied each for 30 seconds while we recorded the arterial pressure and used this to calculate uh, pulse pressure variation for each setting. Um, and for each of these settings, we um, just show, so for each of these settings, we calculated pulse pressure variations in uh, with two different methods. Um, so the first method was supposed to be the, the classic method of calculating pulse pressure variation, um, which is essentially that you take three respirations consecutively, and for each respiration, you take the highest pulse pressure in that respiration and the lowest pulse pressure, um, and then subtract the lowest from the highest and divide it by the mean of the two pressures. And that is your pulse pressure variation. Do this for three consecutive respirations and do the mean of these. And that is the classic method of calculating pulse pressure variation. Um, and then we also applied uh, a newer method where we used uh, what is called a generalized additive model um, to basically decompose uh, a series of pulse pressures into a slow, uh, trend over time, and then the respiratory variation in pulse pressure, which is what we're interested in. Interested in. Um, and the reason we did this is because we believe we believed that the reason um, pulse pressure variation might not work with low heart rate to respiratory rate is that in some of these. Um, in some of these ventilations of some of these respirations, um, by chance, we might not get a heartbeat that happens to be at the maximum effect or the minimum effect of the ventilation. Um, so we might have one, one um, ventilation where we get a high pulse pressure variation, then the next ventilation, we by chance uh, just get a low pulse pressure variation because the two beads happen to uh, to appear 
with with yeah, happen to appear away from the maximum and minimum effect of the ventilation. Um, and this may, by chance, uh, lower the pulse pressure variation when we have um, low heart rate to respiratory rate. Um, and the generalized additive model approach overcomes that problem. Um, so we measured these two different types of pulse pressure variation for each of the ventilator settings. Um, and then after we had applied all these 10 ventilator settings, um, we subjected the subject to a fluid challenge, 250 milliliters of saline or albumin, um, and then recorded the response to that fluid challenge with um, a pulse, pulse contour analysis. So after we applied these series of 10 different ventilator settings, we subjected the subjects to a fluid challenge with 250 milliliters of fluid. And, and we recorded the response uh, to that fluid challenge using a pulse contour analysis um, and deemed subjects fluid responders if they had an increase in stroke volume by above 10%. Um, and that was basically the data we collected. Um, then we wanted to, to know whether these methods uh, or these pulse pressures actually predicted fluid responsiveness. Um, and unfortunately, only 10% of our patients were fluid responders. Um, and we had quite low uh, pulse pressure variations in this study. So that part of the, um, of the analysis was of limited use and um, there was a significant prediction of fluid responsiveness. Uh, it was better, better than random, but it was it was not good um, with quite wide confidence confidence intervals. Um, so the more interesting part of the results was how this um, these different tidal volumes and these different risk respiratory rates impacted pulse pressure variation. And we analyzed, we analyzed that using what is called um, a generalized, no, no, we analyzed that using um, a mixed model approach where we wanted to know within each patient, how does a change in tidal volume or change in respiratory rate affect their pulse pressure? Um, and the way to understand this analysis is that, um, for each patient, we model what is the pulse pressure at 10 milliliters per kilo and 10 respirations per minute. And then we model all other uh, effects um, in relation to that. And the result was that there was nearly a linear um, or nearly a proportional effect of changing tidal volume. Um, so when we decreased the tidal volume to eight. The PPV, the pulse pressure variation, was 80% of what it was at 10 milliliters per kilo. And when we decreased it to, set, to six, um, we were down to 60%. And when we decreased it to four, we were a bit above this proportionality, so we were down to, uh, to 50%. And this was the same for both the uh, generalized additive model approach and the classic approach. Um, 
And then we also anal analyzed the effect of uh, respiratory rate, which was completely independent from uh, the effect of tidal volume, and saw that the effect on the classic method of um, calculating pulse pressure variation decreased quite a lot. Um, it decreased down to a sixty percent when the respiratory rate was thirty-one compared to ten. Um, whereas the generalized additive model approach only decreased down to 60%, um, down to 80% um, compared to at 10 milliliters. So, so the generalized additive model approach only decreased down to 80% compared to a respiratory rate of, uh, of 10. Um, and that completely falls in line with our expectation that the classic approach to calculating uh, pulse pressure variation falls short when we have uh, high respiratory rates. Um, yeah, so essentially what we, what we concluded with this study is that the problem with using low heart rate to respiratory rate seems to be mostly a methodological problem that with the technique used to measure pulse pressure variation and not a physiological problem uh, due to, uh, to some interaction between uh, respiration and heart rate. Um, because we, can, we do not see the same drop uh, in pulse pressure variation with the generalized additive model approach. Um, also, uh, we, see, we see that with lowering tidal volume, we have this proportional drop in pulse pressure variation, which suggests that um, we should probably use a lower threshold uh, for pulse pressure variation for predicting a fluid responsiveness if, if the tidal volume is lower. Um, unfortunately, we could not uh, predict fluid responsiveness with this study because we generally had non-fluid responsive patients. So it might be that there's some other reason uh, that pulse pressure variation does not work with low tidal volume or low heart rate to respiratory rate um, that we could not investigate in this study. Um, but we were able to find these quite strong uh, and quite striking effects of um, tidal volume and respiratory rate. This is really interesting, given to me as an anesthesiologist, uh, it's really interesting because uh, it's um, it's always a matter how how parameters are calculated. We always do not think when we are using as clinicians uh, the tools that we are given to to measure outcomes. Uh, du during during the operation, for example, we 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 tend not to think on what's inside the the algorithms that calculate the numbers we use, and and this is a clear example on two methods confronted. So it's really fascinating to me uh, to to see this process ongoing with someone an expert explaining to it to us. So the question. I, I have now is, do you foresee uh, a widespread use of uh, generalized additive models or we, 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 there is still work to do? 
So I think we are quite uh, we are quite far away from actually implementing generalized additive models into uh, into uh, anesthesi anesthesiology monitors. Um, both because they are computationally quite expensive uh, to implement, um, and also because there might be simpler ways of uh, of getting this um, respiratory effect out of a uh, of a series of pulse pressures. Um, the reason we use the generalized additive model here is that it's very robust. Um, we can see these uh, that these effects are. Are quite strong. Um, there's very little, um, very little noise around these uh, models. So we believe that we actually see true physiology with these models. Um, um, so we use this as a. We think it's. Um, so we think that we have a quite strong argument that we can extract pulse pressure variation with low heart rate to respiratory rate ratio um but it might not be the only way to do it yeah thank you it's uh it's it's really really interesting i was also interested in uh, did you encounter any specific challenges during during your study anything that uh, that that you had to deal with yeah we of course uh, encountered plenty of uh, of challenges um so just technically with recording all this data, we had to record data from both the ventilator and from the um, cardiac output monitor and from the like the um, hemodynamic, not the hemodynamic, the, um, the blood pressure monitor. Um, so that was quite a challenge to get all that working. Um, we also had a challenge with um, that we wanted to record this fluid response. We wanted to do this in patients with, who are both uh, fluid responsive and some who are non-responsive to get a wide range of pulse pressure variations. Um, but because we applied quite uh, a large number of different ventilator settings for 30 seconds each, it took quite some time to do that. Um, and that gave us the problem that uh, if patients were actually, if patients were actually um, hemodynamically unstable um, and really required this fluid. Um, there was it was it would not be safe to do a ten minute um, series of ventilator settings before the the fluid was given. Um, so therefore, we probably ended up with quite stable patients uh, in the study. Yeah, thank you. It's uh, it's really fascinating, and I'm so proud that I'm part of a journal that uh, shares this kind of knowledge. Uh, I'm afraid our time is running out, so thank you, Johannes. Thank you really, really much. It was such a ple pleasure to have you here in James MC interview series. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, Michael, and thank you for uh, for inviting me. I always remember to all the listeners to subscribe to our channels on YouTube, Amazon Prime, Google Podcasts, Spotify, to to increase the number of followers and to and to 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 give us the chance of providing you with with more and more contents. So thank you and see you soon.